Welcome to Talkin' Star Wars. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. Join your hosts, Robin Vogt and Scott Inch, as they explore all aspects. I see your point, sir. I suggest a new strategy, Let the Wookiee win. From a galaxy far, far away. Laugh it up, fuzzball. I've been waiting for you all be long. We meet again at last. Oh, Star Wars conquered the universe. I'm sorry. That's why I have Scott, so he can show me the cover of the book. I have to admit, probably one of my favorite things, and I'm going to toss it over to you, Scott. One of my favorite things about this book is that it really does give a different perspective to the Star Wars universe, and really, first was formatted. Yeah, definitely. Um, you kind of get... It t- gives you a bit more of an explanation of, like, of how the first Star Wars movie was made. Um, how like, George Lucas was still kind of working on it when he was filming it. Um, mm. Precisely, for example, he still didn't know halfway through shooting if he was going to kill Obi Wan or not. So, and it it does explain how he, how um, also how he tried to get how he convinced Alec Guinness to get involved with it. And, he, and there's been um, a few rare interviews online with Alec Guinness, especially uh, with a talk show host who doesn't do it over here anymore, um, uh, Michael Parkinson. Uh, Alec Guinness was on that, and he said that he got the script and how he read that and he thought the dialogue was bad and that. And I mean, we all know that George Lucas is not the best script writer, but he has a great imagination. And uh, Alvarez was like, but he was intrigued by the story and it kept he kept on the pages. So it just showed that this book does delve into some of that history of Star Wars. And also goes into a bit of the background of George Lucas. It doesn't start right off with Star Wars. It starts off George Lucas where he was born, uh, his parents, how his parents met. I mean, you don't really know much of this. If you go online, there's not that much information. Um, How George Lucas had a car accident, um, and if if he died in that, we wouldn't have Star Wars today. So it really, really delves into that kind of history. And this book takes you all the way from the moment George Lucas was born, right up to when, really, 2015, kind of in that new era that we're in now with Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the best parts of this book is that it, like you said, Scott, you said it beautifully. It does break down George Lucas and who he is as a person. You know, I'm sure, you know, when we're talking about Rogue One and we're talking about a lot of the Disney Star Wars films that Lucasfilm has, has been working on and have now brought to the Star Wars fans, we don't really know the backstory of our directors much. We know J.J. Abrams somewhat because after Force Awakens, it was like, we're going to tell some of his backstory about what he, it was like as a kid for him. And they did that nicely, I think, in some, I believe, um, in one of the... Um, the interview. I, I, I believe I f- found it through Collider um, that somebody did an interview with J.J. Abrams after The Force Awakens came out and it kind of broke down his life as a kid, what it was like growing up, um, how, which I think is great, Steven Spielberg really enhanced his, uh, his filmography and whatever else he was working on at that time and how he also looked up to George Lucas as well which is the main book that we discuss but it's kind of cool to see that that you know Disney is trying to piggyback off of even some of the concepts of this book and we don't see it a lot but when they do it it's really and I think this book kind of sets that into place yeah definitely um so like for example we go way back to when George was born he um you get to see where he got the idea for Star Wars so and it's this is common knowledge anyway but it was Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers uh I mean I've I've watched some of the not I don't know 
I remember, I don't know how many iterations there's been of Buck Rogers, but I do remember watching Buck Rogers in the 21st century on BBC Two, and uh, that's some, that's some dodgy, dodgy sci-fi there. But it's good. <laughs> but you can see the imagination. Um, I mean, some of the Flash Gordon stuff. I've seen some of the stuff online. I have, that's what I miss about like these classic series. You never get to see them back on TV. Um, but yeah, you just get to see how all this came to be Star Wars, but done in a different way. But yeah, um, I just love I love reading that, and it talks about his first relationship with Harrison Ford and how he got Harrison Ford into Star Wars, starting off with American Graffiti. And I must admit, I still haven't seen that movie yet because I can't seem to oh. find it in it. I know I, I I should just like get a rope and hang myself, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> right. I was. Oh. It's just that I can't seem to find it over here on DVD. Mm. So that that's unfortunate. I will. I'll hopefully it'll come streaming online somewhere. Uh, I'm still a guy who likes the physical copy. Um, so yeah. So how he met Harrison and how he got uh, Harrison Ford only had what a few scenes in America Graffiti. So it just bases off that, and he kept Harrison support in mind. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you bring up American Graffiti, because that's one of those films, and if you watch a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff from American Graffiti, you can start to see George Lucas starting to play out Star Wars a little bit. Some of the camera angles he worked on. I mean, some of the action scenes, like the cars racing each other and everything, and then some of the relationships between characters, certain Harrison Ford into that, even just even for a couple of scenes. I mean, it was almost like he was test-marketing the filmography side of what Star Wars did become through American Graffiti. I think, I believe, I believe it was in this book, they talked about really, George Lucas had quite some time to ponder on Star Wars. Yeah. Um, Post-American Graffiti and everything. He, he had some time to kind of sit back and say, okay, and like any good director, what things worked in my latest film? What things didn't work and at the same time you know again you mentioned it buck rogers and flash gordon and stuff i think buck rogers is a great example like you said it, it can be picky sci-fi at sometimes but in terms of the scientific side of it um i think buck rogers was probably and flash gordon were some of the first to do sci-fi right for the pop culture side of it and i think lucas we, we think with Brian and everybody else, you know, Star Wars isn't just a universe. It's a pop culture phenomenon. It's something that not just stems back to whatever it's established. There's other sci-fi and films and everything else that we have to thank for the development of Star Wars. Yeah, um, agreed. I mean, some of this stuff that he that kind of helped along the way, and I know this is another franchise, it's got this rivalry with Star Wars, with Star Trek, and he, he said it himself, there's a documentary called Trek Nation, and uh, what's Gene Roddenberry's son called? Is it Rod? Just oh, Rod? I think it's Rod. Yeah. He had an interview with um, George Lucas, uh, in case I forgot the name. <laughs> See what you've done, Disney? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old. Um, so, <laughs> I've got, got completely blank. So anyway, he interviewed him and George Lucas said that um, he did watch Star Trek and that kind of helped him with Star Wars as well. But he, in this bit, he did, what he didn't say was he did go to the Star Trek conventions that were around. So he did go to some of those early conventions. And I bet you that kind of helped him when he was doing Star Wars Celebration. He knew how to like, get it all sorted. And then talking about other things, all these things accompanied into the script of the first Star Wars 
much movie. So, and we all we all know that, that it wasn't called Star Wars. It was called Adventures of Starkiller, Episode One: The Star Wars. And reading the first draft of like not reading the first draft, but reading about it, it's it's so different from what we've got now. That I didn't know so and really anything about that first draft until I read about read it in this bit and seen how wow this was just completely different. Like the Jedi were what it was, you had Anakin who was like the hero. It, all this stuff that you say, wow, <laughs> I didn't know anything like this existed. I just thought it was the first Star Wars movie we got, like as we as it came out. So, you know, I, when I saw it first in '93, then again in '97. That, that's great. I mean, that I remember reading the book, and that was one of the things that I took out of Force Conquered the Universe was um, that script. I mean, just to even look at it, and of course, you said the adventures of, um, of Star Killer. I was like, whoa, wait a second, whoa. That, 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 it was going down a very different path than where we finally went down. The first thing I thought about when I read it, and I'll be curious to hear what your thoughts on this, Scott, was that it kind of tied in a Flash Gordon theme yeah. with like a King Arthur story set in a galaxy far, far away. It was very unusual. It had a very medieval slash pop culture science fiction feel to it. And it would we would we still be as fans of Star Wars today if that was the plan? Or maybe it was the inclusion later on. I, I mean, I know um, we're talking a little bit after here. We're talking about Empire Strikes Back, but somebody like Lawrence Kasdan coming in, somebody who could kind of ground his ideas and say, you know what, George, we have to focus on this. If you want to continue the story forward, we got to focus on this and portray it. And I know just to kind of go off on a little bit of a, on a lead here, but Lawrence Kasdan was the one who really convinced George that, you know what, Luke Vader's son, I think you have to make that connection. And I don't know where that would have been in the adventures of, uh, <laughs> the adventures of, uh, well, Starkiller. Yeah. But, well, I really remember that was meant to be um, the actual character's name. Like, yeah. it wasn't meant to be Skywalker, it was meant to be Starkiller. And then that got changed. And then it was quite nice that Starkiller got referenced as Starkiller base in Force Awakens. So, nice wee nod there. And then she was a JJ Adams did his homework and Lawrence Kasdan as well. They kind of remembered all this stuff. Um, but yeah, just like they're so. To go for your point, like what would Star Wars be if it was this first script? I, th I think it would still be the phenomenon, but would it just would it just been like a, a one off or would it have been, you know, it's quite. I wish we lived in a parallel world to see if that actually happened. That would just be amazing. Um, but I would have. You're, I would have loved to have seen that. Who knows? Oh, now you've got me thinking about it. Wanted to see that on the big screen. <laughs> Just take, like, put Star Wars to the side for a minute. I want to see this version of it and see what it was like. I mean, we have luck and we have actually seen it in a comic book. The Star Wars, best Star Wars comic book. So we'd be lucky to see it in that. Um, but yeah, the connection, I'm going to go off your what you said about Lungs Casting as well. You're right, you had to tell George because you had to connect it all with Darth Vader being Luke's son. Because in this, it doesn't really say anything like that about the first Star Wars, because Darth Vader was an all character in it. But the it definitely was Anakin that was, um, that was in the, yeah. And he already had a son who. So there was a nice connection there, and you can see some of that storyline was used in the first Star Wars, like Anakin, and then it actually became the one person. Mm, I, 
and that was the one thing about this book again i'll say it it's the way that it does connect to the star wars that george had originally wanted to plan out and it's what's great is that you know some of the context of this book sometimes as we know these smaller books i'm not gonna say it's a small book necessarily but a lot of people out there would say that this is not a book that can read it's more of a fan book something you go in you study you read you take a look at it you review it um I, this book is is underappreciated i feel it's very much underappreciated for what it does in the stories that it gives us you could make a film about george lucas's life you could create a steve jobs type film about film about george lucas's life but this book i'm one to say and i'm sure you are too scott if i want to read some backstory about somebody I want it in a book. I don't want to have to necessarily, even though I know we're comic book people, um, I don't want to have to see it on the big screen necessarily. I want to be able to pick and choose the words that I want to understand. I want to be able to hypothesize like we just did with what would have been the adventures of Starkiller. It gives faith to do what they want with the text and to explore it to their heart. Yeah, I mean, we've seen we've seen on the big screen some great documentaries about people. For example, Lincoln was a great one, I would say. Oh, oh. Uh, th- yeah, that is a one. Yeah, um, th- Saving Mr. Banks was another great one. I- I- I'm just going to list off some of the ones that have been done really well to do it, give us a comparison. Some of the the first Steve Jobs done by Ashley Kutcher wasn't done well. So, and the latest Steve Jobs didn't get that well received as well. It was kind of bashed, but it was only aimed at three certain parts. The question is, if you were to do take this book and make it into a movie, how would you... You need to get the right person to direct it. You need to get the right person to write it. Do you get Chris... Is it Chris Taylor? Yeah. Chris Taylor to come, to come and maybe help out writing it, the script. Because there is another stuff, there is another George Lucas book out there. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I've seen it on the shelf at work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, um, so I need to have a look at that one. Um, but this book, if it was to be done right, I would like J.J. Abrams to direct this movie if it had happened. Uh, there, uh, he would be a great choice to do it because he's met George, um, because really it was George that kind of sealed his approval. To, even though he was not how to do with Disney or Star Wars when it came and he bought it, but he kind of gave him seal of approval of it, of J.J. Abrams doing Star Wars. Wow, yeah, absolutely. I could totally see J.J. Abrams come into the picture to direct a George Lucas autobiography film or, or a biopic um, that would be really interesting and you know I think I think this is what you were really trying to point out and what you were saying JJ um, Abrams is part of that community he's part of the Martin Scorsese Steve, uh, Steven Spielberg George Lucas community and that was the other name I was gonna bring up was Martin Scorsese along with Chris Taylor because Scorsese has had a great past of I just watched the one about the American band the band um, which was a which was a really really good film and you know what the best part was was that somebody like a Martin Scorsese, a Steven Spielberg, even a J.J. Abrams would know how to take the real life aspect to actually sit down with George in a setting and to kind of really get some answers out of him. And I think you need somebody within that film community to be able to do it because other <laughs> biopics and everything, you get the wrong people to come in there and direct them. You lose the aspect of the person that you're discussing. Or you're trying to portray and sorry Ashton Kutcher I know that you really wanted that role but that was one of those ones that was like wait a second uh, wait, whoa Ashton Kutcher you know not on that 70s show but I don't know you Steve Jobs um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I think you bring up a really good point, Scott, that, you know, this book could be the format. Chris Taylor could have a really good format for a George Lucas uh, bio, biopic in many ways. And one of the other things I wanted to ask you about when it comes to this book, Scott, is um, it's a little bit of the Phantom Menace as well, which, of course, many Star Wars fans feel is like the low end of the totem pole when it comes to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And... I know it talked a little bit about his development of uh, The Phantom Menace coming out of the original trilogy and once again coming back into the Star Wars universe again. And I just love some of the stuff that he talked about when it was like George was uncertain about it at first. Like he wasn't sure that he wanted to one, two, and three. Like he didn't want to get into those details yet. And I think Chris did a really nice job. And this is something, again, we talk about it here on the podcast network all the time. Now he could have listened to the fans and he could have went, you know, George did such a bad job. He, he was very negative about the entire thing. There was never really a purpose to him coming back. Chris actually said in the book that George wanted to come back and do this. He wanted to focus on bringing the Star Wars fans this universe once again. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, he, it does explain how he he was trying coming back. He was very apprehensive because he had just done the special editions. Uh, and uh, so he had just like he was glad that he was able to do that, get the get the thing right. Because when he did the original trilogy back in seventy five, seventy six, he didn't have the technology he wanted. So he brought it back. He so when the technology was there in nineteen ninety seven, he was able to put those scenes in. Some of them do kind of stand out a wee bit in the, in the special issues but you forgive it because it's it's Star Wars, you know, something like the best ones I would say, Empire Strikes Back special edition, works out perfectly it makes like Cloud City just opens it up much much better but to go off your point, the fact yes, he was a bit should I do this, should I not and he first got directors, he looked at directors to do it um, and the Phantom Menace went through several drafts as well, but nobody wanted to do it. Um, he, I'm sure he did, did not ask Steven Spielberg, I need to double check the book again, but I'm sure he did ask Steven Spielberg to direct so. it. Uh, he wouldn't do it, he, there were some big other names he asked and they wouldn't do it. So he's just like, I'll do it myself. But the one thing, I know everybody picks on Jar Jar, but when you read actually what Jar Jar was going to be in episode one, I was like, why did we not get that? <laughs> Yeah. That would have been so much. It would have made it a lot better. Like instead of having Boss Nass and it, man. Brian Blessing. God love the man. Sorry, I don't know why I did that. It's just Brian Blessing. He's a very loud guy. Um, but yeah, I would have rather have had Jar Jar be in that role as it was described in this book. And just made it, it would have made it so much. Oh my god, because like, I know when we did the review of Empire's Indy, you know what I said about having Jar Jar in that, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he did serve any purpose in that book, just for a tiny bit, but in this one, yeah, it's just been so great to see Jar Jar and what he's described as being like a, a great warrior and someone that people respected and not the kind of Jar Jar we got in episode one. <laughs> it's just, it's just one of those it's, things that's like, yeah, you know. it's just Jar, 
trying to like it's trying yeah. to find a good balance, and it's it's quite hard when you talk about Jarrah because we do, we know how much people hate him, but at the same time, like as we're getting into episode episode one, did have some dark moments, but he invited comedy that was needed. Yeah, absolutely, I totally agree with you. I think as we move forward, and I don't know if you haven't read Empire's End, what are you doing? Turn this off right now. Go to your local bookseller and pick it up. Because, I mean, I'm just going to say right now, I agree. I think where Jar Jar was fit into that book, if we had gotten the Jar Jar, like you said, Chris Taylor kind of outlined in his book, that George Lucas had a plan for him to be a much higher political figure in the Star Wars universe, I think that moment in Empire's End would have been even sadder because he would have been more influential. And then to be outcasted and then end up being, oh, little kid, you want the bomb? You know, it's just... <laughs> Sorry, that was too accurate. That was, that was way too accurate. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Can we, can, we do, can we just end it like that? That was my drop of the mic. Yeah. Uh, good day, folks. <laughs> I gotta recover from that one. Oh, uh, uh, oh dear. But... Composure. <laughs> right. Composure. I'm a professional yes. here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're all professionals here. We know what we're talking about. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. We always say we we don't know anything. Um, <laughs> but that, I mean, just. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. Jar Jar's Jar Jar's influence. Knowing that if he was a much more higher political being in the Star Wars universe, that moment would have been even sadder. And to be honest with you, I think Phantom Menace would have went down a very different path because it was a very political film to start with. I think it focused on the politics a lot. And a main factor in, of course, Naboo reinstating itself into the Republic. And obviously he took on a very high pole. He became the, basically, in many ways, the political eyes and voice of Naboo. So, and I don't know, that was such a weird progression. And I'm just going to say this, I'm going to throw it over to you, Scott, after I say this, because we do see that Jar Jar becomes Padme's representative in the Senate. In the Phantom Menace kind of stepped that back for me because I didn't know whether he could be a serious senator. Now, if he took on that Boss Nas role, and then he took the position after Padme left, I mean, we're talking about almost like a Mon Mothma-type figure at this point. We're talking about somebody who could be very, very influential establishment of Naboo and its importance in the Senate. Yeah, it would have been... It would have definitely changed the entire outlook of, um, of the, the prequel trilogy, to be honest. If you think about it, I mean, if he had became like into kind of a more muscle type of character, where it, I don't know how to explain it quite well, but it's just it's, it's just trying to think about it because it's like we, we haven't we never got to see it and we're, and we're only like hypothesizing what could have been, but yeah, to see Jar Jar if he had came into that kind of role of the Senate and just being like because the clown, you're right, Robin, the clown bit that he did, the silliness was kind of was stepped back way back it wasn't even noticed in episode two he never really because he was all there for a few minutes well 10 minutes in total um it was all gone um the, yeah he the jar jar that we could have had in episode one was there in episode two a wee bit yeah. and he did take over like for padme in episode two and it, if we had just seen that in episode one I mean, 
I know the Bashers episode one, it does have some great points, Darth Maul. Um, I think episode one would have been a much stronger movie because of it. Yeah, it, it would have been much stronger. And I think probably heading into now the newer trilogy, which is obviously seven, eight, and nine, just to have just a stable prequels would, would have been very nice. And again, you say it, we, we focus on the positive stuff here. Phantom Menace had some really great parts. It had the development, I talk about it in my latest article, with the development of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn's relationship. We had Darth Maul, of course, heading into Attack of the Clones and everything. George kind of took a step back and said, let me focus on the Sith, let me focus on the Jedi, let me focus on the, the what would eventually become as we progress. Revenge of the Sith, of course, and a lot of people hate on it, and a lot of people find their nitpicky stuff inside of it. But overall, it really portrayed what happened to Vader, what happened to one. And it told the story that had to be told at that point. And I think Chris Taylor's book here, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, really digs into that point that, you know what? Amongst all the negativity in Star Wars, the prequels, um, even some of the more nitpicky things that fans look at, you know, it's important to take a step back and say, you know what? Went through his life wanting to become something more. He wanted to create something that would outlive him. And Boy Scott, did he ever? He did, I mean, he, he to go way back, to when he was selling Star Wars, every studio just knocked him back, knocked back. And if it wasn't for Fox giving the courage and the money to actually make the first Star Wars movie, we wouldn't be having this the universe we have now. Like it would just be unreal. Um but yeah, it's just it's just so weird where we are now. It's just so weird where we are with Star Wars at the moment. Um, Hopefully it keeps going and going and going. But yeah, if he did, if Fox hadn't given the money, I don't think Star Wars would have came. He would have probably some find some other way of doing it. You've got to, you've got to put, tip your hat to Fox and say bravo, bravo for, t-. because back in those days, like doing something like that wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, you saw like the didn't come out round about then. There was a, set, a few sci-fi, yeah. There was a few movie, sci-fi movies, and they were quite hard to try and get made because. It, you had more, you're um, trying to think of movies, my god, my movie's definitely going. Uh, trying to think, yeah. some, some of the great movies back then that were made because people liked them with the big Hollywood actors, but uh, I'm rambling on here. <laughs> oh no, absolutely, you're 100% right. Star Wars was, was coming at a time where I feel like s- cinematography was progressing in a more technological way. Like we were moving yeah. towards more special effects. We were moving towards, and again, another thing that George did, ILM, ILM yeah, alone, yeah. revolutionized, revolutionized cinema. We wouldn't have what Spielberg did. We wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have Ryan Johnson. We wouldn't have a lot of these directors, um, yeah. modern directors, uh, Colin Trevara. Now we look and we're saying, you know what? They're taking over episode eight and they're taking over episode nine. ILM was the foundation of a lot of special effects. Another one, you wouldn't have the double, which was very successful. Uh, first animated film, I guess you could say it was live action animated, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm uh, sure there's yeah, other people uh, I can speak of, but, but would have those films if you didn't have George Lucas, you didn't have ILM, you didn't have those great books out behind this. Just a quick thought here, Scott. Um, a, a lot of books that Star Wars fans can get into. This is one that you have to read now because we're at this point in the Star Wars universe, all these new films, content coming out every week. Now's the time to go back and say, well, how did George Lucas do this? You know, what background did he come from? What did it take to create Star Wars? And kind of reflect on that. As fans, I think that's something we have to do more of, is reflect on where we are now compared to what started. I know we podcast about the time. It's a direct 
we're one year anniversary was this week but from where we started to where we are now it's a Star Wars fan yeah it was Jar 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 <laughs> alright just sorry you know um, we said oh Jar Jar uh, <laughs> <laughs> to go off the point yeah to, for a Star Wars fan if they're coming to idea and want to learn more about the George and Kastari how he got to this point uh, with Star Wars is definitely this book definitely this book this book just doesn't cover Star Wars, it just covers everything as well. If you like, I mean, for well, we had the Bible first Vader's Fist. Um, they had mentioned in this book, um, it mentions the expanded universe. Um, it, it goes into people's lives about uh, he managed to contact people's and get their story in here as well about how Star Wars affects them. It's not, not, not a lot, but it's enough to kind of. Um, show that they thank the man that gave us this and uh, to quote John Campion we do all worship at the, the altar of George Lucas um, I won't get down on my knees and pray because I'll never get back up again um, but yeah this book if you're a Star Wars fan and you really want to delve into the Star Wars universe before you read the canon stuff read this get an idea of the history of Star Wars because all the stuff online is the same stuff that's been copied from here here and here like Wikipedia and other websites do your research go to this book and you'll get much more information yeah. much more detail about the making of stuff i know it's in the dvds and the blu-rays of the that's one thing about star wars they do great uh, behind the scenes stuff not so much in the yeah. the, the force awakens at, at the moment but hopefully as the years go on we'll get that content we not we did get the stuff in there are in those blu-rays that aren't even the book that's what i'm saying that wrong there's more in the book that you will get in the dvds because the book goes deeper he did his research chris taylor did his research and uh he journeyed and it's just a great book to read yeah, it's and, one that star wars fans do have to get into yeah and, you're gonna say and also uh, it also goes into how george lucas convinced carrie harrison and mark to come back to star wars mark would do it if harrison would do it carrie wouldn't do it if mark wasn't do it as, even though they weren't seeing each other again, like in our day-to-day lives, it showed that the three of them did have this connection that if he's not doing it, he, I'm not doing it. If she's not doing it, I'm not doing it. You know, and George could just say to him, we will write you out if we if you want. But he went to them. That's one of the gates that is it takes, it goes into detail and that's what I was quite interested in as well. It's the detail of how George Lucas sold it to Disney. Because mm. he they came to him. He was having plunge with Bob Iger and he came to him and he said, So, how would you like to sell uh, Star Wars? And he's like, Not right now, let me do a few things. <laughs> and uh, and as much as uh, George Lucas like gets panned on, I know Christian Harloff does his wee George over there over here. <laughs> Tess more faster. George Lucas is a very, very smart man. Very smart man. Yeah, he is. Very smart man. And because I think he, the value of Star Wars would have been a bit lower. Basically, he went to Bob Iger and said, Right, so here's the stuff. I've got episode seven ready to go. I've got these actors back here. And um, that's how he was able to up it. That's why it was up. The value was up more. So he did all yeah. these wee things. I don't think a lot of people know that. They just thought, oh, he'd sold it. But nobody knows that, actually. He went into this, this, and this to get to you know, sell it much for much better and for it to be in a good position for him to hand it over. You guys have to go out and get this book. Please read it. Let us know what you think of the book. Give us your review, and we can talk about it some more. 
I think it's that time of the show, though, Scott. Plug time. Ah, beautifully said. Plug time here at the Brick City Blockade Podcast Network here on Talking Star Wars. And on over to you, Scott. Where can the good people find you across social media? You can find me uh, on Facebook at Scottish and on Twitter at Scottish85. And then this week we have the season finale of Star Wars Rebels. Uh, so looking forward to it. We just done a review of um, Twin Sons. Go and check it out. That was a great episode to discuss. Um, I, I think Brian was more on the Obi Wan side. I think you and I were more on the Dark Ball side. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got this. Last final season, uh, not the final season, no, no, we're not, we jumped ahead of ourselves here. The final Ooh. episode of season three of Rebels coming up, and uh, I'm sure you and Brian's going to have a good chat about it over the next weekend. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to that discussion on Rebels Recap. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Vote Tweets, head on over to Instagram, follow me at the official vote. Make sure to go over to the Brick City Blockade podcast page on Facebook, Twitter, follow us, like us, and make sure to vote for the Brick City Blockade podcast network in the 2017 Star Wars Podcast Awards as best new show. And another little plug for people out there, if you haven't read it yet, please. At Solitude, Tatooine's Greatest Secret. It sounds like a really bad, bad 80s film. But it's over on the Brick City Blockade bot blog spot page. Make sure to check that out. Take a read. Let me know what you think about it. It's all about Obi-Wan, his connection to the Force, and how he changed on his time on Tatooine. So for Scott Inch over there in Scotland, this is Robin Vote of the Brick City Blockade Star Wars Podcast Network. Thank you guys for watching Talking Star Wars, and we'll see you soon. May the Force be with you. Always.